Step up, come on. This is Lady Divine's Cavalcade, and I'm going to show you the little show. Just step right in. Do you think we have time to go lunch? Maybe a few minutes. This isn't one of those sex shows, is it? You'll see, sir, you'll see. Come, please, step right in. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astro Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. We now join Astro Radio Z already in progress. Put your hand up. Look, Eddie got a joke to tell. Anal beats. <laughs> <laughs> it's the question and the punchline. <laughs> Eddie got a joke to tell. Uh, yes, uh, tonight, dear, I, w- I would like the Guatemalan uh, milkshake. Hold on, let me Google that. Right. <laughs> no, 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 you don't want to Google that. That's so, something that so takes four strangers in a ladder. That's like, that's like, honey, what kind of birthday party you want? I want a lemon party. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one where the doo-doo goes in the pee hole and then? That's a space duck. That's a space duck. I've never heard a space duck. <laughs> We've jumped ahead too many movies. Yeah. We're now at Dirty Shame. <laughs> well, actually, I think space talking is where two uncircumcised guys um, merge yes, their foreskins over. It's like an airlock. Now you're confusing me. Now I my mind is is blown. <laughs> well, because finger cuffs are already taken. <laughs> so, so wait. Okay, let me get this straight. Two uncircumcised guys put their penises together, and one puts the foreskin over the other person's penis. Yeah, one one foreskin goes over one penis, and then the other foreskin goes over the foreskin onto the other penis. And that's a space duck. Space duck. Yeah, Amanda, just let me know that it's called docking. Yep, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for validating me. <laughs> but the rosary job is just too much. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little low tech compared to the space dock. Um, that's just me. Sitting yeah. on the dock of You're the gonna bay. Get the docking. Yeah, the, the rosary <laughs> job's too much. But she knows all about docking. This is what I, the whole opening of the show is going to be: filthy sex acts. <laughs> well, well I'm, 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 we just make them up usually, you know. Yep. It's like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's like s- scat. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. That's a thing, too. Yeah, you got two uncircumcised men with their penises parallel, and then you got a third that goes over both of them. What do we call that? The Bermuda Triangle? Yes! <laughs> that's an abnormally stretchy foreskin. I would think they may have some type of congenital abnormality. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, there's a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Maybe that's what it is. Unusually <laughs> stretchy body parts. <laughs> Stretch Armstrong disease. <laughs> <laughs> they would, that person would be included in the beginning sequence of this film. Yes, yeah. So it sounds like you guys are already laughing at uh, what a wimp I am. <laughs> 
it's okay. <laughs> Thank you, Angelique. I appreciate your 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 stoic attitude with me. It's fine. So, folks, welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, and also welcome to another John Waters Director Series episode. We're on episode number two here. Of course, what does that mean? That means we're going to talk about 1970s multiple maniac starring Divine as a complete and utter psychopath. Yes, folks, this isn't any cheap X-rated movie or any fifth-rate porno play. This is the show you want. Lady Divine's Cavalcade of Perversions, the sleaziest show on earth. Not actors, not paid imposters, but real, actual filth who have been carefully screened in order to present to you the most flagrant violation of natural law known to man. The same group of maniacs that were on the last John Waters episode are back with me, Seth, Andrew, and Angelique are still going strong on the John Waters kick. But tonight we also have, for a little bit, I'm supposing, because she wasn't able to watch the whole film. We'll get to that story later, folks. But Amanda is on her first episode in a little while. How are yeah, you doing, Amanda? Good. I can't complain today. Today? Yeah. <laughs> but you were complaining earlier today when you yeah. tried to watch yeah. Multiple Maniacs. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Well, okay, so... Um, the first time we tried to watch Multiple Maniacs, this is like my third attempt at watching it. The first time we tried to watch it, I fell asleep or we just shut the TV off or something. And then the second time we put it on, um, I was like flying on Benadryl because I got stung by some bees. And... Um, and so then we were watching it, and I fell asleep right at the scene where Divine enters the church and is having this, like, um, religious epiphany, and this mysterious woman comes in and um, slowly makes her way next to Divine, and that's right when I fell asleep. So then today I came in from uh, tending my bees and doing a few outside things, and I thought, oh, i got to watch the rest of this. So I turned it on right at that moment, and I lasted two minutes. <laughs> All right, let's not say what that yeah, scene is, yeah. folks, but let's just say it was enough for Amanda to contact me via text on my way home for work and saying, you I'm know out. what, Derek, just reached that scene. I'm out. Have a good episode tonight. I'm <laughs> <laughs> ready when you get home. I'm uh, going to do something else while you podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so Multiple Maniacs, which is the second film, obviously, in John Waters' filmography, can actually kind of be considered his first actual film. While that's a weird way to, to state it, but this is the first film where he has real dialogue in it. There's a first film with sync sound and uh, the first film that actually has a plot. So the John Waters that most people are aware of and are familiar with, that started with this film even though you know obviously you listened to us last episode and we all loved mondo trash show but most of the people consider kind of this his first real film now andrew you're a huge multiple maniacs fan would you do us the pleasures and kind of give us a synopsis as to what multiple maniacs is Oh, I'd love to, man. Uh, Multiple Maniacs begins with uh, Divine's cavalcade of perversion. It's a tent set up in the suburbs, and it's uh, sort of a front for uh, robbing 
people and in some cases murdering them uh, under the guise of a freak show, which features, you know, anything from two men kissing to somebody licking a bicycle seat. Uh, I don't want to go into yeah, lots of detail on that. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But um, the main story is that uh, her boyfriend is afraid of her and wants to get away and runs off with another lady. Divine finds out, don't like it, don't like it. <laughs> and a spree of madness and murder ensues. And the uh, re- the action reaches a fever pitch that you will not freaking believe and has what I consider one of the greatest endings to any movie ever made period. I agree. This was, as I said in the last episode, the first early era John Waters that I watched because the first film I saw was Cry Baby of his because it played all the time on cable back in the 90s. Then I went back and found this film and watched it. And let me just tell you, there are twists and turns and shocks in this film that will sucker punch you in a way you have never been sucker punched before or uh, probably ever will be ever again. Angelique, this was your first time seeing Multiple Maniacs. What was the experience like for you? Like, like I said a moment ago, just I'm so confused. <laughs> like it's not, it's it's excellent. Like entertaining and 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 just twisted and and horrible and wonderful and and but things happen and uh, i've my jaw has been on 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 the ground since sunday literally like i'm walking around in a stupor people are like what's wrong i'm like watching multiple maniacs i and they're like what's that and i'm like never mind you you will never understand. You can't be included (laughs) in on this i may go to jail after i make you watch this film so how many times did you watch it in the in the course since the last uh, episode? Twice. My Let's mind see. is just blown. <laughs> so, so, Seth, what do you think about Multiple Maniacs? It's just madness defined, you know? Uh, everything about it is just pure crazy. Uh, I've just saw it for the first time last month, and with this episode I've now seen it three times, and it doesn't get any more normal to watch what's going on. <laughs> You know, everything about it is just insane, and you can't take your eyes – well, I guess some of us could take our eyes away from it at certain points. <laughs> but I was just mesmerized at how bizarre and uh, to the extent it would go, and shamelessly so. It gleefully so. Absolutely. And that's the th- that's the yep. thing about it is is that it revels in it. it absolutely revels in it, and it still has the same amateurish feel that Mondo Trasho had. While this does have music in it, it for the most part is just a talkie, and when I mean talkie, means it's just people talking <laughs> through the whole film. There's no music that's played over the dialogue for dramatic effect because it was uh, such an amateurish production. Uh, when he has cuts uh, because the sound was married to the, the film itself, he wasn't able to layer music on top of it. So when music does play, the rest of the sound completely goes away. <laughs> so Unlike Mondo Trasho that had just loads and loads of music that told the story and uh, created this kind of crazy oral experience, this movie is 
as talky as it gets. These characters don't shut up and they're they're saying shocking things upon shocking things upon shocking things. And it feels this is the epitome. When someone says camp, all the dialogue and all the acting, this movie is camp to the extreme and to the T. Andrew, when you think of the characters in this movie, what stands out in this film for you? Uh, just kind of the fact that this would be the proper Dreamland uh, cast really uh, starting off, um, getting to see people like David Locker, you marry Vivian Pierce, Mink Stoll, Cookie Mueller, Edith Massey, all together with Divine uh, on screen. It's just, it's kind of like assemble the Avengers. You know what I mean? <laughs> of, of cult film as it is. And uh, it just, to me, it's just wonderful seeing them all get started like this and seeing the dialogue come out of their mouth. I mean, it's the first proper John Waters movie uh, really. And um, it's, it's funny because in a lot of ways he kept kind of making the same movie over and over again, uh, which is awesome because it, they kept getting crazier and crazier. But this one, out of everything else that he did, to me shows the influence of horror, which you know obviously he loved, uh, especially uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. To me, it's just it, it just warms my heart to see them all at, at the beginning, you know, before everything got bad. And what do you mean by before everything got bad? You know, Divine got famous and John Waters tried to do movies without him. And and same thing with David. David and John were on the outs and then David died. And then, you know, it's just, you know, I'm sure as we go along, we'll get through some dreamland history with it. But there's nothing like the beginnings. There's nothing like the amateur. There's nothing like you can never go back to the point of a multiple maniacs and um, you can never reach that same charm. And the people, because they're such a young age in these films, I mean, some of them were in their late 20s, early 30s, like David Lockery, um, but most of them were, were fairly young and they just went for everything. The whole, let's start at the beginning, the first scene, Miss Lady Divine's cavalcade of perversions, which is essentially, uh, John Waters states this, uh, I've, I've heard him say this many times, it was filmed in the park in front of John Waters' parents' house. So they have a grouping of tents uh, that are set up, and David Lockery is standing on a podium, basically telling passersby to come in, and you will see um, perversions and debauchery. You'll see two queer men kissing on the lips for real and a puke eater. You'll he loves it. literally sick. These assorted sluts, fags, dykes, and pimps know no bounds. They have committed acts against God and nature, acts that by their mere existence would make any decent person recoil in disgust. You want to see them, and we've got them. Every possible thing you can think of. There's all sorts of crazy-ass shit where they lure these people into these tents to see women uh, licking bicycle seats, a guy getting off on just rubbing a bra on his face. A heroin addict literally turning insane at the sight of heroin. (laughs) In a whole bunch of... (laughs) Two guys licking a a girl's hairy armpits and rubbing their heads in her armpits. and It's just ridiculous. And it sounds filthy, but it's so comically staged. And you can't take it seriously because it's so over the top. I actually like that scene. I thought it was funny. Angelique, what do you think of this opening scene? It's kind of interesting because you see a lot of this stuff again in his latest film. So I was like, okay, so 
we're laying the groundwork here that as far as like you know the barker i love the barker and i love all the people coming in like i don't know and the guys are like yeah let's go in there let's see this i don't know <laughs> it sounds disgusting i don't want to go in there but it's a puke eater huh yeah <laughs> Nothing it's wrong with a little sex shows, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're selling burgers while you eat the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes. That's what you said every yeah. time. Like there'd be all these people rubbing their heads in this girl's armpits, and then somebody walks out with the with cheeseburgers, cigarettes, yeah. cheeseburgers, <laughs> a cigar box of hamburgers. <laughs> I'm just like, did McDonald's officially endorse this film? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's nothing that goes together like a puke eater and hamburgers, cheeseburgers. Yeah. Now, this opening scene, you'd like Angelique said, you'd see it in some of his subsequent work, but more directly right in the next film, Pink Flamingos, there's a big party scene where there's a lot of the same kind of stuff going on. So he would take these motifs, as Andrew said, and he would just keep building them throughout the rest of his films. Now, uh, Seth, what was your favorite perversion in this first scene? I think it'd be the puke eater. Come on in. you got about three minutes now left to catch the puke eater. He'll lap it right up for you. He loves it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I think it'd be uh, the genuine queers. Come on, you'll see two actual queers kissing each other like lovers on the lips. These are actual queers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved it. That was my favorite line. Oh, the genuine queers. Like lovers on the lips. Everything else is kind of weird. This is just, I mean, it's just two gay guys making out. You know, it's not all that strange. No, nowadays it's not strange whatsoever. And I don't even think really back at that time yeah. it was all that strange. 1970 wasn't that weird. I mean, but just the, the point that he made uh, to clarify that these are real queers. <laughs> Not right. only fake queers you see at the other cavalcade of perversions. <laughs> these, these, these tents are just these tiny little tents where I don't think you could fit more than yeah. five people in these tents. Yeah. It looks almost like a mosquito screen more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> So they lead these people in here, and Divine is laying it on this table, totally nude, um, not hiding the fact that it's a man whatsoever, with with this amazing makeup that makes her look like this demented clown. I absolutely love her makeup in this film. Andrew, what, what do you think of Divine when she comes into this film? Well, it certainly tops in the entrance Divine got in uh... – Mondo Trasho was amazing. We talked about that. But, man, talk about topping it. Divine is so beautiful. Ass naked right there and just treated like a like a goddess, you know? And it's just like – and they bring they bring in uh, Mary Vivian Pierce. They're like, this girl wants to join us. Like, Get her out of my face. It's just all this, like, you know, wild dialogue and lines and yelling at each other and being mean. Just this giant ass. So hot. <laughs> yeah, isn't Mary Vivian Pierce her her perversion is that she likes to suck off old guys? And one of them was her uncle. Her yeah. uncle. Yeah, thing. But, but what's neat is they were just showing. Corporophagia, I think, was mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. He, they don't have enough extras to to be the uh, the appalled suburbanites, so they are all playing double roles too. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Mink Stoll is in many different roles yeah. within this film. So Divine comes in, puts them all at gunpoint, robs them, and they head on out. 
And then from there, the movie splits off into two separate factions with, with David Lockery and Marion Vivian, Vivian Pierce, who have a thing because she likes to do acts with him. She wants to perform <laughs> acts with him all the time and only him. And then Divine basically goes off with one of her, her henchmen and gloats about how she just wants to, she doesn't want to do the cavalcade of perversions anymore. She just wants to start killing people and taking their money. Why just cut out the middleman? Let's just start killing people and taking their money. I'm tired of this show. We ought to just pick them up and shoot them. Yes. Fuck all this cavalcade of perversion shit. Just pick them up off the street, tie them up, and kill them. If we can move a lot faster that way, three or four loads a day, so I can get rid of all these tent wells and all these other people on the show, and it could all be mine to do with as I please. Edith Massey calls up Cookie, her daughter. My favorite by, of the Dreamlanders. By uh, Edith Massey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is her first uh, <laughs> her first appearance. And they filmed it at the bar where they met Edith Massey. <laughs> and she looked just like that, John Waters says. <laughs> and uh, so Cookie gets a hold of Divine. Well, Divine shows up at the house and uh, Cookie tells her what's going on. So Divine goes out to try and find David because she's like, fuck this guy. I'm going to end his life. And it, en route, gets raped by two glue-sniffing uh, transvestites, <laughs> sort of in an alley. Andrew, the alley rape scene. They they look crazy, man. It's so funny. John Waters just has them like pop out and attack her, you know. And and it's it's a it's a parody of what uh, the whole beginning of the movie really is is just razzing the you know polite society and you know <clears throat> just like making fun of what they think that. Uh, deviant people do you know what I mean it's like oh yeah so this person likes to wear a dress obviously criminal and right. <laughs> you know it's kind of kind of like what the still to this day what what the uh, the conservatives think uh, you know a trans person is going to do in the pub in a public bathroom uh, it, it, so it's it's an, you know it's like they think oh god if we, these people are allowed to to practice this lifestyle they're waiting in the shadows <laughs> to come out and attack my wife and children <laughs> so, in the middle of the like halfway in the si- on the sidewalk in, in some alley so they're using drugs and then they see her and then the drugs cause them to yeah to attack a rape divine which is you know a recurring theme that will uh that there'll be a callback to it later but uh it's just mm-hmm. uh you think it's like divine man you're a career criminal you could fight these folks dude that was my thing i'm like come on get it together i mean <laughs> Are you that distraught that you can't just handle these people? But it's it's just so it's so funny, and it's not played, you know, because like I, you could say that the scene where Divine, uh, well, Glenn Milstead rapes Divine uh, at the beginning of um, of what was that? Desperate Living, Female Trouble. Okay, Female Trouble, right? Because it gets pregnant. That scene is pretty disturbing the way they shoot it. But this, not not as not as much. It's just so you know, it's not very explicit. You can't really tell what's happening. It's ambiguous as to whether or not anything made it in. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when we first were watching it, I, for a couple of seconds, I was confused by what was happening. I didn't know if they were just like rolling around on top of her they just were trying to get her to sniff glue i didn't understand they were mugging her i was confused for a few seconds (laughs) (laughs) also what's up with the vine constantly being raped what does that say gee her vagina has its own force field i guess (laughs) 
drawn right to it. Yeah, no. people people have to be inside of it all the time. What did your grandmother just say to us? You know what they used to say? Just powder it and look for the wet spot. Oh my gosh! What? And you. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be interesting. You got offended by a scene that was coming up, and you drop a wet spot joke. Yeah. I think that's how you make fried chicken. That's got nothing to do with sex. (laughs) Yep, it is. You get a brown paper bag, and yeah, I don't think that's right. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that sticks out to me uh, up to this point is the fact that a lot of these scenes are shot in very public areas. Now, if you knew anything about the way these movies were actually made, John Waters was a guerrilla filmmaker at the very core. He didn't pay for locations. He stole locations. He took cameras to locations and just shot. So he could have very well gotten some big trouble on a lot of this stuff with a lot of the stuff they shot. And he, they went in and didn't even tell people about what they were doing even the final scene that was shot in a or the not the final scene the scene that's coming up where divine after she's raped goes to the church because she's totally disfraught and ends up meeting a certain woman at the church angelique would you (laughs) like to tell me about this woman that uh she meets at the church divine is trying to pray and this woman keeps giving her the old you know hairy eyeball and she joins her in the pew and uh, they start rubbing on each other and then all of a sudden it turns into full about lesbian pandemonium uh culminating in mink stole taking a rosary and inserting it into the rear orifice of divine <laughs> all the while telling her to think of this of the stations uh, of the cross yeah the stations of the cross while first, she's getting an or, a rosary job i felt that if i cooperated with this mysterious woman i could somehow benefit spiritually from the experience little did i know what she had in mind i felt her hand reach down and touch my leg not at all casually and I realized it was too late for social introduction. This lady had a grip on me that even now I find it hard to describe. She kissed me as if Christ himself had ordered every move of her experienced tongue. It was suddenly, I was suddenly uncontrollable. And although she had only said seven words to me, these words proved to be the key to the most satisfying sexual experience of my entire life. Think about the stations of the cross. Think about the stations of the cross. Think about the stations of the cross. It was then that I realized that she was using her rosary as a tool of erotic pleasure. Oh, oh, she made me get into a kneeling position. My head was spinning. And all at once, she inserted her rosary into one of my most private parts. After she's done, she she cleans the rosary off so nicely. (laughs) <laughs> and and then puts it back in her bag and divine's like yeah this is cool but no that's not cool guys it's not it's not cool at all i went to parochial school <laughs> <laughs> so this in fact is the scene that broke amanda was the rosary job scene amanda would you like to uh talk about this sequence snap my brain right in half I couldn't take it. (laughs) Okay, so let me preface this by saying I've never really been much of a person that can, like, get into or be comfortable with intentionally vulgar stuff. 
Um, there's a couple of movies that I've, I just can't make it through. And it's because a lot of the stuff is like really intentionally vulgar. And so I, Derek has always been a very good steward of that kind of thing for me in the last year that we've been together by kind of warning me or just avoiding those types of films, uh, except for this one for some reason. And um, so well, you were so anxious to be involved in this John Waters series. I Cause I really, I really thought I liked John Waters. Now I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I like, I like John Waters. I like Crybaby is one of my favorite movies. So I'm like, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Let's watch John Waters movies all the time. And then um, we watched this. My, we watched, we watched Mondo Trasho. And you were confused by that one. I was one. confused. And my ears were bleeding by the end of it. Like the sound is so horrible. On it. My ears were bleeding by the end of it. And we watched, we've watched Pink Flamingos. Yeah, which you liked. Well. And Pink Flamingos, there was a couple of scenes that were like, uh, not my taste, but I was able to make it through. But this rosary thing just pushed me over the fucking edge. Uh, so, like I was alluding to before, I was like screwed up on Benadryl and kept falling asleep up into the point of that scene. And so today I come in and I'm just like in such a good mood. It was so beautiful outside. The birds are chirping. My honeybees are just kicking ass. I'm like having such a great day. And I turn on the scene right at the moment where Mink stole has her hands on Divine's face and they kiss for the first time. So I made it about a hmm, minute and 15 seconds into that. And I was like, nope. And I just shut it off. <laughs> and I texted Derek and I said, nope, not going to do this. So see you when you get home. And I hope you have a great episode tonight. But there's just like little, little bits of things, little bits of movies or, you know, kind of intentionally vulgar and insulting material like this that turn a little part of my heart black and it just doesn't go back. <laughs> it just doesn't go back. You know, there's an old expression, you can't unring a bell. You can't unsee someone stuffing anal beads in Divine's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a tagline if I've ever heard of it. Uh, Seth, what do you think of the rosary job? I, I would just like to state that I don't think I ever want to unsee someone stuffing <laughs> into Divine's asshole. The first time I saw it, I think I was with everybody, kind of mind blown, blew a fuse, didn't know what to think. I now think it's absolutely hysterical. And a little bit hot, you know? Oh my god! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The fact that they're in the church, you know, I don't know. Uh, fantastic scene. One of like the greatest scenes ever made. It has to be. <laughs> it is one of the most memorable scenes ever made. There is no doubt about it. Now, another factor, it isn't just about, you know, rosary beads going in someone's asshole. It's also combined with the passion of the Christ at the same time. Yeah. This scene was played for as maximum offensive content as humanly possible. I do know that John Waters is dealing with his Catholic upbringing and stuff. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting how, uh, how I think how transcendent the, this whole sequence is beginning with, um, the infant of Prague taking uh, Divine's hand and leading him to the church steps to begin with. Um, I guess that's baby Jesus or something like that. I don't know. Right. But, but um, so it, it begins with that. 
and it, it 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 goes from being this crazy movie with the you know the the puke eater and the the cussing and all that stuff, and for that whole section, it becomes really something else that none of his movies ever really turned into ever again, um, because that whole part is very kind of art house. And even though you're seeing like a sex act takes place in a church, interspliced with a, a played extremely straight thing about jesus getting it you know it's as far as i know that's they're going by exactly what happened to him there's people spitting in this guy's face none of that's done for laughs and i don't feel like that the sex is done for laughs either just not not just for the fact that you know they took advantage of this this wonderful church that was letting you know hippies come in and do art communes and all this other stuff and right right one of his friends distracted the priest and talked to him about politics while they did this stuff um but I, I know that whole section. I, I just I'm always really in, in absorbed in how hard hitting it is. I think if John Waters really wanted to make like kind of a religious epic or whatever, I think he could really nail it if he wanted to. Or at least back then, maybe they were so high they did it on accident. But that that whole part <laughs> is awesome. I mean, it is really unforgettable. It didn't freak me out at all. Divine has a beautiful ass, but we've already. <laughs> so I'm, I I was glad to see it again so soon but um to me yeah it's a very transcendent uh scene and i'm not offended by it from a religious standpoint i'm not a religious person either it's just to me uh, just taking it totally at face value there's something offensive to the core of my being about it and i i think i would feel like that whether the religious content was there or not it's like the um, but the religious content is very oh, intrinsically a yeah, part oh, of that scene. It is. I mean, absolutely why else would is. you why else would you put a rosary right. in somebody's asshole in a church while the passion of the Christ is being well, played out very straight laced? Oh yeah, I know, I know. And this is before the Exorcist yeah. did the uh, masturbation with the Christ. yeah. The power of Christ compels you. Oh, the power of Christ compelled her. That was for sure. <laughs> At this point, the movie actually starts to really slow down for a while um, because then it starts getting into the relationships uh, between David Lockery and uh, Mary and Vivian Pierce and then Divine and Mink Stoll because then after the rosary job, uh, Mink Stoll decides to kind of hang out with Divine for the rest of the day because she has nothing else going on and they all of a sudden become a couple. I don't even know your name. But then from this point on, the film slows down until they get to the apartment and everybody gets together and it is a big orgy of death and destruction. And then something inexplicable happens. Seth, would you like to describe the climax of this film when everybody double crosses Divine and she ends up killing everybody? All of the characters end up dying. Um, Seth, would you like to go on and describe the climax of Multiple Maniacs? Okay, so uh, they're in the apartment. Divine has killed everybody, eaten some guts. 
and a giant 15-foot lobster comes out and rapes Divine for a lot longer than I think was necessary. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, with that exoskeleton, it takes him a minute, okay? <laughs> so, uh, after- it couldn't find the wet spot. It threw the talcum powder out there. could find the wet spot. <laughs> so, uh, upon the lobster finishing and leaving, Divine apparently contracts rabies and foams at the mouth. Destroys a car and the uh, coast or National Guard comes in and chases her through the streets of Baltimore. Now I remember when I first rented this movie, there was nothing about it that really stood out to me when I was young when I first saw this, except for this lobster scene. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this huge paper mache lobster with a couple people obviously dressed up in it comes out and just rapes her for like, it seems like 10 minutes. <laughs> it does seem like 10 minutes. This scene blew my <laughs> mind back in the day. And it was this scene alone that spurred into motion my obsession of having to find everything John Waters ever made <laughs> after that. Uh, because it is one of the strangest things you're like to ever see now angelique yes was this the point that broke your mind you know that scene in terminator 2 when linda hamilton is envisioning the you know the nuclear blast and she's holding onto that fence (laughs) and like the wave of the wave of the the blast hits her and and her skin melts and all she's doing is just a skeleton just hanging onto that chain link fence (laughs) that was that was me (laughs) That was me at this scene, and <laughs> and I think I'm still kind of there. I'm just kind of clinging on to the chain link with my my metacarpals, <laughs> I can barely form coherent sentences. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not even sure from a medical standpoint, lobsters can be vectors of reason. Now, come on. Are you trying to tell me you're going to try and find logic in a paper mache lobster that rapes her out of nowhere? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so Science let, has no place here. Oh my gosh! So, so let's wrap, wrap up this this uh, dissection of the plot of this movie and go to the final scene, which is w- probably my favorite sequence of the film, which Divine becomes Godzilla and basically runs through <laughs> Baltimore, the streets of Baltimore with people running from her as she's foaming at the mouth. Andrew, what do you think of this Godzilla sequence? Oh, it's pretty ultimate, man. I mean, you know how the, the thing is, man. The the lobster scene uh, is so amazing that you almost think that you would have to end the movie there because where could you go? You know, it comes out of nowhere, and what a what an incredible ending! It's like unforgettable. And so for them to go ahead and do this, it's definitely neat considering that uh, female trouble at the end of it, Divine's character is executed. And so it's a neat kind of early uh, way of uh, 
presenting um, her character as as being a monster, you know. And what <laughs> what better way to do that than just go full on Godzilla with it? And it's uh, you know the guys with the toy guns shooting and all of that stuff. It's it's really cool because that's the way you know monster movies kind of end, don't they? I mean, even American Werewolf in London, you know, um, with the police shooting David. So to me, it's just there's if there is anywhere to go, <laughs> this is the only place to go. What's funny about that scene is I've heard John Waters describe how they shot that scene and that they had, you know, everyone on deck to be the extras, but then just random people when they were filming and they saw these people running down joined like kids, (laughs) kids joined in and other various people ran down. And I was watching this, uh, this talk that he had after a screening of this at a film institute. And uh, he says, I have no idea where that kid came from. I didn't have a kid as an extra for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. So let's go ahead and let's go down the line here and let's, uh, let's just give general general thoughts on multiple maniacs in general. I personally absolutely adore this movie one of the things that really stands out to me in this movie is the stark black and white photography divine does look like a monster in this movie mostly because of the black and white photography and the makeup she has because her face is kind of um pale and this uh this black lipstick and eyeliner that she has on just makes her look like this demented clown i'm a big fan of really harsh black and white photography and the look of this film just is so striking and it it gets me even though a lot of it is very handheld and amateurish there's something about certain scenes in this film really stand out like the murder spree in the apartment where she's stabbing everyone to death because everyone's you know killed her her daughter and double crossed her and she just goes on a stabbing spree and her face is, is covered in dripping blood there's certain shots within that sequence are so horrific and so chilling that I absolutely love the photography in this film. Andrew, what do you think of the photography in this? It's awesome. It's very, you know, it's, it's cinema verite. It's, you know, it's, it's documentary style. It's just, you know, it's, it's that, that kind of footage like atrocity stuff or war stuff or newsreel stuff. He knew what he was doing, even though he was brand new at it and still running gun and still just handheld and all of that stuff. It still can freak people out. I think he he says in in shock value that uh, at one point things got so realistic that one of the actors freaked out because uh, at the time there's a lot of dialogue in there about the Tate LaBianca murders. And when the movie was, we started making it, nobody knew who did it yet. Like the, the crime had not been solved, you know? So, um, you know, divine's taking credit for having done the murders and David Lockrave's character, Mr. David, and um, he had a, he had an actor at one point that freaked out, going like the, the the crime was so new and the dialogue was so of the moment. He was like convinced that John Waters was with the police and coercing him through making this movie <laughs> to confessing to having done the murders. And he flipped his shit and he left. Well, and that's that's a major plot point in this film as well yeah. is that Divine has brainwashed David into thinking that through drug abuse he was actually involved was in the murders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean he right. makes direct references to this what they wrote on the walls of blood. I mean it's to 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 think that John Waters, who's so enamored with the with the Manson girls and all of that, to think that the t- how soon he started referencing it in his films is incredible. 
that's kind of John Waters stick though, is that, yeah, he, he goes for these, you know, really over the top and offensive things, but there's a lot of, uh, underlying themes that are going through, especially the early stuff. Yeah. Um, they would be much broader in some of the, his latter era stuff, like in Hairspray and and stuff like that, and in, especially Serial Mom, uh, with you know the media and uh, court TV being you know a big theme of what Serial Mom is, um, which Serial Mom would predate all of that stuff. <laughs> You know, it's it's amazing how it predicted all of that. They did this kind of thing also in the Diane Linklater story, yeah. another short yeah. uh, yep. that, that, that they made, where the day that she had committed suicide, they they shot a film about her last days. Yeah, like a dramatization of it. He has such an artist's eye. Like, like, like you said, you know, this is the beginning, but this movie is gorgeous. And... Like, you know, in the church scene, if you pay attention to it, not only are uh, Mink and Divine moving, the camera's also rocking back and forth, simulating the motion of what they're doing. So he did a lot of really cool things with the camera, and, and especially during Divine's rampage, you know, getting right up in her face and and watching her transform from Lady Divine to this foaming monster. I think uh, what stands out most to me is just how raw it is and uh, really puts you in a almost fly on the wall kind of situation in a lot of the scenes, making you feel like you're right there seeing it happen. Yeah, I think the, the main thing about this is it feels very impromptu and ad-libbed, and that's what creates the rawness of it, is that it, it, it feels like, as Andrew said, very cinema verite, where it feels like you are a fly on the wall, and you're just following people around on a day of their life of destruction and anarchy. The next few films that he would make would hold this, but then after John Waters turned over to the light side, not the dark side. This is the dark side. Some of that energy would still be present, but nothing as raw as multiple maniacs would ever be made again by, by John Waters. It would be it would escalate, but it would be much more lighthearted for the most part. Um, so let's go ahead and go down the line and give our final thoughts on multiple maniacs. Seth, what are your final thoughts about it? Two big thumbs up. If you're a fan of Waters, you gotta you gotta see it. Especially if you're a fan of his earlier stuff, like uh, like you said before, he went to the to the light side. Uh, it's very imperfect and flawed for the better. I think it gives the film a real attitude and um, personality that I think even in the movies that came, they didn't quite have that same personality. Uh, loved it, and honestly, can't wait to watch it again. Is this w- the one you would say would be? the first one people should check out. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I definitely think it's his coming out party uh, along with divine and the rest of the dreamlanders too. They all, I think it's where they start to hit that groove of who they are in the movies that they were going to make for the next uh, 10 years or so. Angelique, a thumbs up, thumbs down, final thoughts, a rosary wrapped thumbs up as you know, confusing and mind blowing as it is, it's it is a good movie. I mean, it's enjoyable, and it does have a, a plot you can follow for the most part, in, until the lobster. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I really did enjoy it. You know, so it, my my opinion of John Waters has only gone up 
Andrew, I know this this movie. We've had conversations in the past that this movie was highly influential on you as a, as an artist um, and, and a lover of film. Why don't you let everybody know what what your thoughts are, or your final thoughts are on Multiple Maniacs? Well, I give it a thumbs up, man. Uh, I I uh, yeah, it was a huge influence on me. I saw it uh, the same night that I saw Mondo Trash Show, but this one really kind of stuck with me. I just love the energy that it has, and when you see the bunch of friends making this horror movie, which is what I feel that it is, it makes you want to like do it too. And when I when I watch this, I immediately see frames of my own early stuff and some of my later stuff up until like the gash and, and booty meat and all of that. It's like, it's like I'm kind of doing it without even thinking about it. It's so like hardwired in me, but uh, there was a video that criterion collection released about John waters recommends around Christmas time last year, the holidays where he talks about Christmas evil and he's sitting in the criterion offices. A lot of fans were like, Holy crap. What's John waters doing at criterion? They're going to do one of his movies. I, out of his entire filmography, um, it would make sense for them to do one of his early movies. But as we talked about Mondo Trasho, all that music would just be, you know what I mean? It would be like impossible. I think there is no reason why Multiple Maniacs should not already be out on DVD or Blu-ray. And um, the chatter with fans was that that Criterion should do Multiple Maniacs. And I think they should. I mean, there's. can you think of a reason why they why they shouldn't do that? I mean, uh, the Elvis tune would be the only reason I think, honestly, they could, uh, they could replace all the music. That's right. Cause cookie is dancing to it in the room. When she's shown topless, she's dancing to the, uh, some Elvis song, right? Yep. Yep. And that, re- and the thing is, as we stated before is music is not a huge element of this movie. It's barely an element at all. That's cause he used it all already. I just think out of everything that he's done, this is pure art house right here. Criterion did a racer head. They should do. But Absolutely. Anyway. I agree with you totally. And, and the only reason why this isn't out, we all know is because of the music licensing rights. This is right up Criterion's alley. I mean, they love black and white cinema and they do a great job restoring black and white cinema and the presentation that they do, you know, they would get a hold of John Waters. They would put together an amazing retrospective or at least a documentary where they get him, sit him down and have him go through this film. And, uh, I would personally love to have a nice restored version of this. I have a bootleg copy, which was off of the old uh, VHS, and it's actually a really great copy. And I kind of like kind of the seediness of the copy that I have. But to have a Blu-ray of this would be amazing. Well, he's just at the point in his career where, you know, he's kind of looking back on it a lot and using it for books and lectures and stuff like that. I don't think he's going to make another movie. And, you know, some like if they're not going to do, if he's not in there as, as a, as an interview for some other release that they're having or whatever, it was just like, I don't know, maybe it's just us, you know, at this point, just like dreaming that it will happen. But I just don't, I other, yeah, I guess the Elvis song would be, would be the reason why, why not? But uh, damn it, Criterion, don't release pictures of John Waters in your damn studio. <laughs> You're teasing us. But this would be the opportunity, though, Andrew, where if they were to let's let's just say they just made the concession. John Waters just made the concession. You know what? Replace the Elvis tune. Would it make that much of a difference? Really? Not to, not to me, because Return of the Living Dead had music replaced. You know? Yep. 
I mean, it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. And this would be the opportunity where he could finally release those early films. I was just about to say that, dude. Bring all your prints in there. Bring your eights and super eights and sixteens. Do it up. Do some two K or four K. You know. It would be amazing. And then have this, well, no, he would only ever allow that to be released on a disc. He wouldn't allow that to go up on like Fandor or whatever streaming service that Criterion's with now. Um, but it would be amazing to finally see this restored and uh, in a proper print um, because I've been watching this on cruddy VHSs since the early 90s when I finally saw this film. Yeah, I watch yeah. my bootlegs so that I don't ruin the tapes because, I mean, God, I would hate it if something... But what if something happens to John Waters' prints? Doesn't he like have them in his closet? Yeah. Loser. Give them to Criterion. Well... He's like we said last episode, he's stingy. He's so stingy about showing this early stuff for some reason. All right, we just went on a tangent there. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's perfectly all right. That's because we love this film. I love this film. There's something about the energy of these first four or five films that is so undeniable. There is, yes, they are offensive. They are crass. They are purposely so. I think a lot of it is he likes to poke fingers at the status quo, and he he likes to subvert expectation and kind of, you know, maybe not necessarily change people's ideas about deviant sides of our nature and deviant aspects of our, our culture, but he likes to show things that most people aren't used to seeing and i I, and i i find it i've always found it really refreshing but he does it in such a campy way that it's fun and it's hard to be really offended by it and i know amanda said that she was super offended by the rosary job scene but at the same time did you up until that point did you feel that it was like purposely trying to be antagonistic to you no, and I we have it playing in the background. We're down in our theater room and we have we're playing it in the background with the audio off. And as I'm sitting here watching it, I'm finding myself wanting to have watched the rest of the movie. It was just that one scene that I had a really hard time stomaching. If you would remove that scene, I think I would really enjoy the rest of the movie, including probably a 10 minute long lobster rape scene. Cause it's so ridiculous, you know, it's like just so <laughs> flamboyant and bizarre that I probably would find myself laughing through it and wouldn't be like right now we're at the scene where, um, divine first has an Alka-Seltzer tablet in her mouth, making it look <laughs> like she has rabies. And this is like hysterical to me. And I think this is funny and I enjoy this kind of campy, bizarre humor. Um, there's just that one, this couple of moments where it was just like a little too much for my heart to handle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what John Waters liked to do. He liked to push buttons. I guess I'm just a little worried that maybe one day the scales will tip and my heart will just never be able to go back to just seeing the good in people. <laughs> you're just you're just going to go over and, and you're just going to be a shell of a person. My Buddhist cockles will shrivel away to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the end of me, and you won't like the woman I've become. (laughs) So are you uh, excited to move on from this one and and watch Pink Flamingos? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I personally give this as high a uh, recommendation as possible. It's one of my favorite John Waters films, and uh, I think 
if you really want to start from the beginning, as I said last episode, I think most average film viewers wouldn't be able to handle Mondo Trasho. I think seasoned cult vets will get what it is and will enjoy it. But Multiple Maniacs is the starting point where I think if you're familiar with what genres would become, this is where it starts. This is really like the first official John Waters film. Well, folks, thanks for joining us in another director series episode. Going to go down the line and everyone's going to let you know where you can find them on the interwebs. Next episode we do of this is going to be the big one, Pink Flamingos, folks. Oh, man. Classic. 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 I've watched it so many goddamn times. I don't even. Amanda, I forced her. To watch it, oh like one God. of the first films we watched together was Pink <laughs> Flamingos. Force me, you didn't force me. You asked me, "Have you ever seen Pink Flamingos?" And I said, "No." And then we went to bed that night, and I said, "Well, let's watch Pink Flamingos." And then you, are you sure? Are you sure? And guess what? I fell in love with Edith Nancy. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So let's go down the line, and let's let's go ahead and chill the shit out of ourselves, Angelique. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, you can also find some. Uh, writings and things from myself and some other cool cats at the lost highway.com. Awesome. Seth. Uh, you can find me at celluloidterror.blogspot.com for uh, cult and horror reviews and uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at celluloid terror. Andrew. Hey, um, if you like uh, old underground movies and crap like that, you're going to like the crap that I make. On Amazon On Demand, we have uh, Mondo Gonzo, Pajama Nightmare, Fake Blood, The Underground Cinema, and the latest Late Night Cable. And we also sell DVDs of that at www.gonzorific.com. And I highly recommend you get Late Night Cable. I watched it the other night and loved it. It was awesome. Thanks, I'm sorry, G. Andrew, I fell asleep a few minutes into it high on Benadryl. I will edit it's okay. that out. <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy the rosary scene. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, Astro Radio Zombies, I fucking love you so much I could shit. find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, YouTube, and anywhere that podcasts are found. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and email us questions, concerns, or just general chatter at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Coming from me, Derek Carey, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Oh.